Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about a real loss to Rutgers and a merciful end to the football season. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest is Syracuse football legend, Brendan Carney. Brendan, how are you today? Hey, Wes. Uh, I'm doing well, thanks. It's um, you know, it's great to be back. You know, I always appreciate the opportunity to come on and uh, you know, talk Syracuse football. Yeah, we love having you on the program, Brendan, and I want to get you started on this one. Syracuse finished their season on Saturday, and it's not the season we had hoped for when we first spoke in the early fall. They finished 1-10, obviously a really tough year, but what were your main takeaways from this season? Yeah, so I think um, I think there's a couple of you know a couple of takeaways. You know, I think at least from a COVID perspective, which was the main you know topic you know going into the season and obviously during the season. Um, you know, I think Syracuse had a you know an airtight COVID you know protocol in the program. Um, you know, if I'm not mistaken, you know they didn't have uh, one positive COVID test since the summer. You know, which is really unheard of across the college football landscape this year. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing games, you know, being, you know, rescheduled, you know, and canceled every week due to an outbreak. Um, and you're seeing, you know, you're even seeing head coaches, you know, you know, getting the virus and, and having to stay home and, and, and watch their teams play. Um, so, you know, when you and I spoke in the summer, right, that was the big question is we could even have a season because of, because of COVID. Um, so you have to give them a lot of credit for coming up with, uh, with a solid plan, you know, and, and being disciplined throughout the entire season with it. Um, and I think moving on to like the football side, you know, the takeaways, you know, I think the, you know, the biggest one, you know, unfortunately is the, you know, the inconsistent play we saw from, you know, our, our offense all season. Um, you know, all eyes have been on the quarterback and the offensive line positions for the last two years. And we, you know, we haven't seen the, you know, the, the productivity, you know, or consistency there. Um, you know, I, I think they've actually regressed the last two years. Um, I think I forget the exact number, but I think they ended up ranked like something like 120th, uh, you know, in the country, you know, and at this point, you know, for, for the, you know, the history of this, this program and what we're, what we're used to, I think it's, you know, it's, it's unacceptable. Um, and I just think, you know, just to, talk about that a little bit more, look at a few examples from the season. I think, it, you know, the, the way we lost to Liberty at home, right? Liberty comes in, they were way more physical than us. You know, we looked extremely soft, both, you know, mentally and physically during that, you know, entire game. Um, the last drive at NC State, you know, the offense looked very undisciplined. They looked lost. 
they looked like they were in a panic mode out on the field, you know, as if we'd never practiced, you know, situational football. Um, and then the blowout loss at, at Louisville, you know, I think we had a 130 total yards of offense. Um, you know, you just, you can't win games with performances like that. Um, you know, and I, so I think it's, you know, another, another takeaway, um, you know, on the, on the more positive stuff, uh, you know, I think you look at Tony White, right. The defensive coordinator, I think he was a great hire, um, with, with really no time to install his defense in the off season. Uh, you know, he put together a group that kept us in a lot of games this year. Um, I think there's a lot to be encouraged about with him and, and you know, what he's been able to do in, in a short time. Um, I think another takeaway is the youth that we saw, right? We've got some, we've got some real talent out there, you know, um, in this team. Um, on both sides of the ball, we saw a lot of young guys playing this season. Uh, so it's going to be fun, you know, to watch them progress, you know, over the next um, few years. And then, uh, you know, obviously my, my favorite part of the game, special teams, uh, were very consistent with, with Cooney and, and Andre and the return guys. Um, and uh, I, actually, I wanted to bring that up because um, I owe Cooney an apology because when you and I spoke in the summer, I, I failed to mention him as a potential starter um, coming into the season. But, uh, you know, he, he did a really, really good job for this team this year. Um, uh, so, uh, so we had some, you know, we had some positive takeaways. We had some negative ones. Um, I'd love to see the offense, you know, straighten things out next year so we can, uh, you know, we can talk about them in a positive way. Brendan, I want to get your take on Dino Bapers. Do you think he's going to be on the hot seat or does he get a pass because they were playing through a pandemic this year? Yeah. So, so, so yeah, so Dino gets a pass, you know, for this year. Um, and I, and I even think that John, John Wildhack, um, the AD said, you know, in one of his press conferences during the season that he'll be back for, for 2021. And look, you, you really have to factor in everything that, that took place this year, right? So we entered 2020 with two new coordinators that everyone's excited about, you know, and then all of a sudden we're hit with a pandemic, right? So those coaches, they didn't get a chance to coach up the players during spring ball because everything was shut down. And that's a crucial time you know, for the coaches and players, especially when you're learning a new system, right? The players, they need time to learn the schemes, you know, and the coaches need that time to evaluate the players, you know? So the fact that we didn't, we didn't get that time meant that we were really already behind, you know, going into the season, Um, you know, and that was an unfortunate circumstance, but, you know, the entire country, you know, the entire world, um, so to speak, was, was going on lockdown at that time. So it's something that was really out of everyone's control. Um, you know, then an extension of the pandemic, uh, we had these opt-outs, right? So we had our fair share of players who, who opted out this season. You know, we lost our our top two running backs um, and our top two uh, defensive backs to, to opting out. Um, you know, and the DBs, Trill and Cisco, they opted out. Um, and that was another, you know, major hurdle that we had to overcome from a, a personnel standpoint during the season because it was, you know, kind of – coaches couldn't plan for that. It kind of just happened, um, you know, right in the, right during the season. Um, and then, you know, then we saw injuries, right? So I, I lost count after the first few games. Um, but, you know, kept talking about the, you know, the injuries the team sustained, um, you know, and unfortunately that's, that's part of the game. You know, everybody knows that, but it's, uh, you know, one thing it's, it's been a consistent issue the last two to three seasons, right? So you, you would hope, it's something that Dino, you know, looks at with strength and conditioning staff. And if, uh, you know, if the off-season conditioning, you know, is it tied to the number of injuries that were, you know, mounting up 
year after year, and, and maybe it needs to be tweaked. Um, so when you look at all those factors, you know, that I mentioned, you know, it does play into what we saw, you know, on the field every Saturday, um, you know, which is why he gets a pass. But there's a lot of questions around the direction of the program right now, um, you know, after five years of, of really seeing little progress um, outside of 2018. You know, he was brought in to run a high-powered offense, and, and we've really yet to see it. Um, you know, this is a, a results-based business, and, you know, and I think everyone, you know, wants to see results from Dino in uh, in 2021. All right, so let's talk about 2021. I'm curious when you struggle one season, how much it carries over into the next season. I know there's lots of turnover in college football, and that's just the name of the game, but does that winning or losing feeling carry over from year to year? Yeah, so it, it certainly can, right, if they let it happen. Um, I was on the last team that went 1-10 at Syracuse, and um, we went 4-8, you know, the following year, and the program for the next couple of years was kind of stuck in this 3-4, to four, um, you know, win season, you know, until, you know, Doug Marone came in um, and won eight games in his second year there. Um, so we got trapped in this world of losing, you know, and it took another – coach to come in and you know and reset the program and, and change the mindset and uh, and that's one of the key components you know that's kind of turning it all around is is the mindset of these guys so when you you've lost a lot it's hard to imagine yourself winning so the philosophy is is kind of it's quite simple it's right it's to win games they need to believe as a team that they have the ability to win games um you know they, they need leaders in the locker room to step up you know, and take on the role with confidence and set the expectations for everyone in, in 21. Um, you know, if they can change, if they can, or tweak the mindset, you know, they can, they can move on in 21, um, you know, and it's probably going to take, you know, more work than, than any of them have ever had to do in their lives up to this point, you know, but, but you see a lot of fight in these young guys in the program. Um, I think that's, you know, one thing to be excited about, um, you know, and it's, you know, I'm eager to, you know, to watch their, their, their progress over the next few months, um, you know, and then going into the 2021 season. Put on your Coach Carney hat right now. If you're the coach of this team, what advice would you give them heading into 2021? Yes, it, it, it's hard, right? A lot, a lot of them are, are very young, um, and they'll be, they'll be around for a while, so it's important that they stay together and they stay positive, and they use this season as a motivation, um, you know, going into 2021. Uh, these guys are, you know, they're, they're learning at a, at a very young age what it's like to deal with adversity, you know, not only for next year, um, you know, but, you know, something that they can, you know, carry with them for the rest of their lives. Um, and this is going to be a really good opportunity to see what they're, you know, all about from a character perspective, you know, and getting this thing turned around. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of, of, of pressure and a lot of talk from the outside world, you know, going into the season. Um, you know, so these guys need to, you know, they need to take it one day at a time and do the right things, you know, to get better, you know, in the film room, uh, in the weight room and on the practice field, you know, and hopefully, hopefully that's, um, you know, that'll translate, uh, you know, into more positive outcomes, you know, when it comes time, uh, you know, on game day. And Brendan, we'll get you out of here on this one. You talked about college football being a bottom line business. So how do you see the bottom line for 2021? I'm hoping it's going to be better than getting a single win. I do. Uh, I'm hard pressed to think that, you know, we'll have another season like the one we just had. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, needs to focus on the offensive line and, and quarterback position. Um, if we can't get, 
production from, you know, those positions, we could potentially find ourselves in a very similar situation, you know, at this point next year. Um, you know, the, the NCAA has, you know, given everyone a, you know, a one-time free pass, you know, with the, you know, to go into the transfer portal. Um, and so hopefully, you know, Dino takes a hard look at the players, you know, entering the portal in the next few weeks, you know, to see if we can upgrade, you know, and get a few guys uh, to come on board. Um, I know there's a lot of factors around that with the number of scholarships allowed, but, you know, however it all shakes out, if there's an opportunity for him, you know, to refu- uh, re- recruit a few kids over, you know, he should definitely, you know, be doing it. Um, and even, you know, with a 1-10 in 10 record, I, I think you can you can look at a few parts of the team and be excited about, you know, 2021. You know, I think it exists on, on both sides of the ball. So if you look at the offense, you know, you have to be excited about guys like Sean Tucker and Cooper Lutz. Um, you know, these are two guys that, that no one heard of, you know, until the season started. Um, you know, they, they both encompass like everything you want in a running back, you know, tough, hard-nosed kids with breakaway speed. Um, and, and they both actually showed that this past weekend at Notre Dame, um, you know, where they where they outran Notre Dame's defense for touchdowns. I mean, that's, you know, that's what you want, you know, in, in a running back. And, and both these guys are young, which is great. Um, you know, I think we saw some really nice play from receivers, um, you know, Queeley, Alfred, and, and, and Benson. Um, so looking forward to, you know, to seeing those guys get some more action next year. Um, so, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic that if we can get the quarterback and the offensive line positions fixed, you know, we can see more production, you know, out of our skilled players, um, you know, and hopefully get some more wins next year. And uh, and, and all the defense, you have to be excited about our linebackers and our defensive backs. Um, so guys like Mel Jones, Marlowe Wax, Garrett Williams, Jahad Carter, Rob Hanna. I mean, these guys are these guys are really talented players. Um, you know, they were flying around all season, you know, making plays for our defense. You know, they kept us in, in a lot of games this year and, and gave us opportunities, you know, to win. Um, you know, but, it, you know, it was our offense that couldn't, you know, step up and, and deliver. Um, so if we can get, you know, a full off season, you know, in the weight room, you know, getting getting these guys coached up in spring ball, you know, I think we're, we're going to have a really solid defense filled with young talent. Um, so I think, Syracuse fans should be excited about this defense. They should be excited about, you know, a lot of the young players that we have, um, you know, for years to come. Um, and I think it's, uh, you know, I think we're going to see a, a lot more uh, positive outcomes. You know, hopefully that means more wins in, in 2021 if we can get, you know, a few of these things fixed. Um, you know, and I'm excited about it. I think, uh, you know, the community is too. Brendan, thank you so much for coming back on the program. Again, two-time All-Big East punter and Syracuse legend, Brendan Carney, breaking it all down for us. Brendan, we appreciate the time as always, and we'll speak with you soon. Thanks. Let's go Orange. Great stuff as always from Brendan, and I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad Syracuse with a frustrating 79-69 loss to Rutgers on Tuesday night in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. With around five minutes left, Syracuse led by three, but then Rutgers closed on an 11-0 run to win. Syracuse let a golden opportunity slip on the road against a top 25 team. What were your general thoughts on the game? I certainly agree, Wes. Syracuse had its chances in the second half to get a road win that really would have boosted the profile early in the season. But as I was watching the game, a couple of thoughts unfolded, some related to 
uh, what I had written in the juice in the Orange Watch column this week, which was really comprising some of Jim Beheim's comments after the first three games as he's starting to assess his roster and who's going to make contributions. So when you look at the Rutgers game, we saw that Alan Griffin had 20 points to lead the way scoring-wise for Syracuse. So he certainly has been able to fill up the basket with points so far for Syracuse. But as Jim Beheim had said before that game, he's still trying to figure things out. And, and I certainly agree with that, that despite the 20 points, he had four personal fouls as he continues to adjust and learn the zone defense. And you're going to take your hits and misses with him. He's going to throw up those shots. You know, he's certainly a 40% plus shooter, but you have to live and die with the offense that he's supplying so far. But it's certainly been a spark along with Quincy Garrier. Then as we look at his thoughts about Kadari Richmond, well, Coach Beheim was talking so far in the season that Kadari has to get himself into game shape do a better job getting up and down the floor. And I think that certainly has been true, and he's getting better with you know, the excellent skills that he possesses uh, at the point guard spot, a big presence at the top of the zone. But I think what was reflective against Rutgers with Kadari Richmond was really reflective with the whole team. They started to get tired out in the second half, making that big comeback, and then a very good Rutgers team pulled away in the end to win. Then when I looked at the comments about Woody Newton, well, Woody has certainly been a surprise so far at that kind of four spot, uh, getting points, shooting from three-point range, from field goals, and having a presence down low on defense. And so as Coach Beheim has said so far, I certainly think Woody Newton has stepped up his play, including in the loss to Rutgers. Then with John Bolajak, well, he's the first five off the bench kind of shaking up the look of de the defense with Marek Dolezal uh, moving either to the four or being, you know, sitting out a few minutes for, for uh, on the bench. And Jean Bolajac, I think, has really, you know, made some contributions. He only had one rebound, only played seven minutes against Rutgers. But I think his development is going to be key. And, you know, Coach Beheim had said, well, the big guys are going to play better against bigger teams. Rutgers is a bigger team, and I thought that he'd uh, have a better substitution pattern, that being Coach Beheim in the second half of that game, to give more players rest and to kind of, again, get more looks on film early in the season so he can you know, continue to develop players, which has always been his trademark. And then the fifth player he had talked about in the, in the games before Rutgers was Frank Anselm, and he was a DNP coach's decision against the Scarlet Knights, so really didn't get to see if he would be able to make any contribution against a team that was ranked in the top 25. So I, I thought that overall the, 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 uh, the offense, you know, got Syracuse back in the game. Uh, this was a defensive situation where, you know, Rutgers very talented. It was hard, hard for the Orange to stop them in the second half when they needed to. And the rebounding differential you know, it's it, it kind of misleading from a total number standpoint because of missed shots on both ends of the court. But I think going forward, rebounding is certainly going to be a key as is defense all the time uh, with any Syracuse team, how effective the 2-3 zone is uh, to balance off the offense. And, of course, I, we can go into it a little bit more as we uh, progress here about Joe Girard uh, and his shooting woes. And, you know, that's something that, you know, Moving forward in the season, getting Buddy Beheim back, uh, getting Quincy Garrier more consistent from three-point range, and along with what Alan Griffin has done so far, is going to be key to open things up underneath for the big men from an offensive standpoint. 
Brad, the other issue is with Joe Girard. He really struggled against Rutgers, shooting one of eight from the field and one of seven from downtown. A lot of ill-advised three-pointers, and he missed two during that key 11-0 Rutgers run, with Kadari Richmond showing promise and Buddy Behan eligible to return to the lineup after completing the COVID-19 contact tracing protocol. Jim Beheim's going to have some decisions to make about what to do with his backcourt rotation. I'll tell you, Wes, I think the relationship with uh, Joe Girard and Jim Beheim is this. Can't live with them, can't live without them. A love-hate type of relationship. I almost see some parallels to Eric Devendorf here in 2020 in that great talent, do a lot of great things on the court, but sometimes make plays that leave you scratching your head. And I think Jim Beheim can, can relate to what Joe Girard is going through. I mean, let's face it, prolific high school athlete, leading all-time scholastic scorer in New York State, great football quarterback, a leader of his teams, a leader in the town of Glens Falls, New York. I think Jim Beheim can relate all to that because of the recruiting process. You know, his father, Joe Girard Jr., wanted him to go play at Michigan for John Beeline. But Joe Girard III was set on playing Syracuse because he related so much to the orange brand of basketball as a star in Glens Falls. And moving forward, I I think you're right. There there are going to have to be decisions to be made as to how that playing time uh, is divided up, how the specific game situations play out between Kadari Richmond, Buddy Bayheim, and Joe Girard, making sure there's enough three-point shooting and offense from that end, along with Alan Griffin and along with a much more improved Quincy Garrier this year to open up things, you know, down under, as I had mentioned before, for, for the offense. But with Joe Girard, going to have to play through it. He, he's going to have games where he's rushing a shot, throwing up ill-advised three-pointers, trying to do too much in too short a time, and that's going to be continued coaching from Jim Beheim as it's a long season, and as it progresses, I think you're going to see the end results with Joe Girard being more positive than negative. And Brad, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. My closing thoughts, Wes, we revolve around media and the coverage of college basketball, Syracuse in particular, and the frustration for Syracuse fans and being able to watch the Orange play. We all know with the pandemic that broadcast outlets have had to make changes uh, they're not sending announcers to, uh, to all the games on site. Many games are being broadcast, including Syracuse Radio, all year with Matt Park, the voice of the Orange, from a remote location where the announcers are broadcasting off of large monitors. And I don't want to uh, single out particularly, but I will mention Mike Cousins, the play-by-play announcer at the Rutgers game, also a Syracuse grad, and he did the color commentary with John Crispin, a former player at Penn State and UCLA. What was really apparent in that broadcast was here are two guys watching the game on a big monitor like the rest of us and talking like the rest of us might at a bar or in a living room about the game. And it was really hard to follow the intricacies and nuances of who scored, who made plays, substitution patterns, et cetera. And that's very frustrating uh, in the element where the broadcasters aren't there or there's somebody not there that's relaying information back to them to make the broadcast better. So as long as uh, the pandemic uh, creates a situation where broadcast entities are not sending announcers to games, I think they have to take a refresh their look as to make sure that they're still doing the job they would be doing at courtside, also off a monitor calling the game from a remote location. And as far as Syracuse fans complaining about not being able to watch football and basketball games, 
Part of the problem is the ACC has subbed out some of the games from the ACC network to the regional sports networks, which have different ownership. Uh, so some are owned by private companies. I'm speaking of the Fox Sports regional networks around the country and some of the smaller one-off owns regional sports networks, which make it very difficult for Syracuse fans in some games to be able to watch the Orange play. And I think the ACC has to really buckle down and make sure every game is televised. So there is a broadcast stream or broadcast available of every game, and they have to do a better job of making sure that that is easily accessible for all fans of not only Syracuse, but every ACC team and every team in a Power Five conference for that matter. And just moving forward ahead here, looking at the schedule, ESPN has uh, eight more Syracuse games. The ACC Network has 10 more Syracuse games. There are two on the regional sports network, and the Georgetown game has not been announced yet. And that's looking as like probably either a regional sports network, ESPN, or even perhaps CBS going up against the NFL playoffs. So part of the other problem is the ACC does not have a relationship with Comcast. So anyone that's in a Comcast Xfinity territory is out of luck unless they have the proper mechanisms to stream the game. The ACC has to do a better job in making it easily accessible for fans of their teams to be able to find that broadcast and be able to watch the team in real time if that's what they choose to do. Brad, my closing thoughts are on the 10-year anniversary of the Juice Online. Today is December 10, 2020. We started the Juice Online December 10, 2010, and what a decade it's been. Syracuse basketball going to Final Fours in 2013 and 2016. The Syracuse football team going 4-0 in bowl games and winning 10 games for the first time since 2001 in 2018. I've had such a great time covering Syracuse athletics for the past 10 years and looking forward to many more great memories here at the Juice Online. Let me add a second to last final thought, Wes. The word congratulations. Great job with the juice, and I hope our readership has enjoyed, and I hope our listeners have enjoyed our podcast and our coverage of the Syracuse Orange. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that it would be interesting if Elvis were reincarnated as an Elvis impersonator. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice and the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.